Okay, well, um, I want to remind us, first off, of a word that we received as a community. So if you are new here to this community, we received a powerful word from Cindy Rukeri two two years ago. And Cindy said this, she said, the people that you were are not who you are today. And the people that you are today are not who you are becoming. Now, I want us to grab something, and I want you to grab it with both hands, the people. Not what the rock's done. Not all the cool things the rock has been involved in. Not all the doing activities. She wasn't talking about that. She said the people, which is me and you. The people that you were are not who you are today. And the people that you are today are not who you are becoming. Jesus said, I will build my church and I will build it on the revelation of my son. You see, the building that church, the, the church that Jesus is building is a people. It's an internal system. It's faith. It's love. It's grace. It's mercy. It's hope. And so the more you know him, the more you're being built with these attributes. And so we're two years on from the journey that when she came, we're two years on. Are we changing? Literally, the people that we were were not who we are. The people who we are were not who we're becoming. So who are we becoming? It's easy to just do stuff, isn't it? You know, we were going to Mexico, now we're going to Cambodia. Okay, so we've had a shift from doing this to doing that. But the people you're becoming, the life source, the resource, the very breathing thing that you are is changing. And so you're experiencing more of the reality of his kingdom. We're experiencing more sight. We're experiencing more life, more revelation, more joy, more peace. Why? Because we're changing. And when we change, you know what happens? People see it. People want it. People go, you're different. You're different from those guys over there. You're different from these people. What did Moses say in Exodus? He said, God, if you don't go with us, what's going to distinguish us from everyone else? So the people, guys, that we were are not who we were when she came. And when she spoke to us when she came, we're, still, we're a different breed again today. Because the church is going from glory to glory. The church is going from radiance to radiance. The church is this constant increase of people that are coming into a radiant bride, a radiant, purposeful, intentional people who are intent to see the purposes of God explode on the earth. Isn't that awesome? That you are given the privilege to be part of this. God could have done it all on his own, but he said, no, I want to use people, people who love me, people who are devoted to me, people of faith, people of power, People of life. The fact that he even uses me and us as a privilege worth dying for. To see your own life refreshed and other people's lives refreshed. I don't know if you've anyone led someone to the Lord, but you know, to see the reality when that person acknowledges Jesus and it's heartfelt. I remember we had Mel's brother and sister here about a year or so ago. And to see them come forward at Christmas time and just genuinely repent was the most beautiful thing to see someone's countenance shift as the Spirit comes on them. 
and you know that they're saved. That's phenomenal. And so I want to remind us, and I want you to, I want you to contend for what I'm saying. The people, are you moving? Are we shifting? Are we coming into a greater reality? When you read God's word, is he speaking to you louder than what he was two years ago? Because it's this living word is the power for transformation. God gives you and I his Holy Spirit as a deposit so we would reach a certain place. He gives us a living word. And so you would literally become this living resource. Not only in physical manifestations when you lay hands on people because Christ is coming through you, but literally just in you as a person. This is good news. That he cares enough about us to bring us to this fullness. And he says, you know, I've justified you. I'm going to glorify you. And I've sanctified you in that process of justification. But now as you enter into this process called sanctification, not only are you holy, but you're becoming holy. Not only are you free, but you're becoming freer. I'm preparing a people, a bride unto myself. And so we're being prepared as the bride. Revelation 19 talks about that the bride has made herself ready. So think about that. A female makes herself ready. The process starts well before the day of marriage. The physical day that we arrive at. And so this people who we are. And so we've been talking about this and looking at sons. And if you think about this, and you know, every, we've got to be so mindful of the fact that, you know, it's not just about looking at things in the physical. God will teach us through the physical into the spiritual. And so, so often we can just be like looking at the physical. So we read the Bible and we just think, oh, it's history. And we don't see the spiritual content, the living reality. So when um, Moses takes uh, the people out of Egypt... Okay? They leave Egypt, they've got to come into the promised land. You see, when you leave one reality, you have to come into another. Otherwise, you get stuck in the wilderness. And you die in the wilderness. And what God's doing, he's changing us from the inside out of the people we were, and he's bringing us into a greater reality on the inside. And so we leave one area in the physical, and they come into another realm, into the promised land. And from here to here, there's a journey that takes place of breaking down some things. And God's manifested glory was just being poured out and poured out and poured out on these people. As he's trying to lead them from one reality into another. That's what he's doing here with us. Bringing us into a greater reality of sons. Bringing us from a place of maybe understanding it positionally, but maybe for your whole life you've never come into the freedom I'm talking about experiencing the freedom, experiencing joy and peace in these things when it's tangible in you. And so he takes you from one route and brings you into another. And it's called this journey we're on. And we looked at this last week. I said the key thought was sons are led by the Spirit of God. Sons of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, are led by the Spirit of God. So come with me again, because I just want to read this real fast, read the whole passage. Romans 8 verses, we're going to read 1 to 19.
Okay, from one. Uh, therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is great news, isn't it? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now listen, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It's a statement. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And we looked at what that means, dwells mean. It means to inhabit. God is inhabitant. He's an inhabitant in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, his righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do you do that? What does that look like? What's that process? Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption. And we've looked at that as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. And so if you're new today, I encourage you to go have a listen to those messages because this will help give you context around what we're teaching about. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that's interesting, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so I want to start by asking us a question. And I think this is a very powerful question. And it's this, are we living our lives by the spirit of God? Is the spirit of God directing our lives? Are we living in the spirit or is our human nature, our flesh, still directing our choices and attitudes because whichever one is doing it it's going to determine who we become and the lives we're going to live and so if we're making choices of the flesh our, our carnal thinking of, of our fleshly desires the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh the pride of life me 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 if these things are making our choices then there'll be a, a consequence of those things or are we being led by the spirit of god which we looked at last week, which is an internal, external transformation. It's not just about being led by hearing a voice and going and doing something. It's allowing changes to happen within your very being. And I'm going to show you an example today, hopefully to help us uh, physically just see this. But come with me to Romans 8, 12 and 13. It says this, So then, brethren, which is all of us, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, 
For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. It's pretty strong words, isn't it? But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I talked about this living reality. That, you know, it's, it's one thing to say I'm living in freedom, but to be continue to be bound up to stuff, insecurities, jealousies, bitterness, unforgiveness, that doesn't look like freedom to me. And so to articulate one thing must become our living reality where actually you're in this reality. I am free. I struggled with insecurity. I've gone through a process and now I'm secure in Christ. I no longer have to fight for position in ministry. You know why? Because it's not about any of that. I'm not looking for something. I'm complete in him. So I come free. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, so we've got to move from this positional place to a living reality place. And we're all on this journey. None of us have arrived. Amen? None of us. And I shared this last week, my own journey, my own struggles, my own uh, breaking down process and coming into a greater reality, a greater sense of the kingdom of God within me, shaping me. So it's good news where the spirit is, there is liberty. I'm going to take a step back, so I'm spitting on the front row again. So here's the question. Get some windscreen wipers on those glasses, Paul. How do we put the deeds of the body to death by the Spirit so we live and are led by the Spirit as sons? Put another way, how do we live by the Spirit of God and not our flesh? Because you can't do this. You can't kill your own flesh. Okay, People try. I'm going to try and make myself holier. I'm going to try and make myself better. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm a good boy. And no one else is, and I'm a good boy. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying. I'm trying to keep this law, and I'm trying to live by these standards, and I'm trying to do this. You can't do it. It doesn't work. It's by the Spirit of God. And so you need more of Him in you than you. There needs to be a transfer of who lives within you. Who's bigger, him or you? John said it like this, he must increase. As that happens, I decrease. You see, if I'd written that, I would have put, I must decrease and he must increase. See the human thinking behind it. I have to do it. I have to try and work this process out and figure this all out and then it'll happen. And we don't just do it in this area, we do it in every area. How do you do this thing? You get more of him, you'll know. A cow doesn't think to chew grass, it chews grass. Why? Because it's a cow. I love this, 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 I read this somewhere, I can't remember where, and Simon brought it up, so I know it's true the other day, I think it was Simon or Jeremy. There's some tribe in Africa where when the baby's born, all they do is actually just bring the baby out and put it around the mother's area here. And the baby crawls up to the breast and attaches itself to the breast. Why? Because it instinctively knows its design and its pattern. It's so authentic. No one has to teach it. And see, the more we have of Christ in us, that's why Paul prayed, Christ and Christ crucified, all I'm preaching. Everything is contained within those those two statements. So it becomes about a revelation of the Christ. 
So my first thought is, I need more of him in me. That's why our whole vision statement has changed. Knowing him. Knowing him intimately. Having him poured out in you. We pursue an increase of him in us. So the question, I'll just rephrase it. How do we live by the spirit of God and not our flesh? Is we pursue an increase of him in us. Doesn't that take, on one aspect, take the load off? So Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. So my role in that is just to seek you, Father. I love Mike, me and Mike with their life. He's in my life. I love the man. I love Ingrid. I love these guys. It's like discontently content. It's just going round and round in my head. I'm like, I'm content. But I'm not content with where I want to be in you. I want more of you, God, in me. More of your reality in me. Because I can't kill my flesh. I'm wired to live. Aren't you? We're all wired to live. How do you kill yourself? When you want to live. And Paul said it this way. Everything that I want to do, I can't seem to do. And everything that I don't want to do, I seem to be doing. Because there's a war that rages. And if I try and live in my flesh, I'm going to lose. So I need more of him in me. More of the pouring out of his spirit that lives within me and the revelation of who he is. Which is why Jeremiah said, if you would cry out to me, I would show you great and mighty things that you do not yet even know. And he says, what would a father give a son who asked for a scorpion? Why would a father give him a fish? He says, how much more would the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? We've butchered that whole scripture into a whole lot of other stuff. It's talking about how much more does the father want to give the Holy Spirit? If you look at the context before that, it's all about prayer. They say, teach me how to pray. Jesus gives them a, a, a way of praying. And then you go into where you see this father who was knocking at his mate's door looking for food for his children. It gives you the idea. It's about midnight. He's persistent. He says, I'm not going anywhere till I receive bread for my starving children. So what is it about? It's about being persistent in prayer for how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit? This man is not going anywhere. And as fathers and parents, as mothers, you'll know. You have these little people. And the love that you have for him from the father is, is, is extravagant. And the protection of wanting to bring them up and raise them up and feed them. And here we are, these starving children. Father's heart, loving kids, can't feed. Who can? My friend has bread. I don't care what day it is, what time it is, how long I've got to be here for. I'm knocking on his door. His friend says, go away. See, sometimes, it, and I love the, this, this wasn't so much the relationship that got him the bread, it was his persistence. Go away. I'm not going anywhere till I get what I came for. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit, thanks Rolly, to those who ask? How do we walk in the Spirit, die of the flesh? 
an increase of him will reduce you. As I shift my eyes. See, sometimes we think getting over our stuff, we've got to focus on our stuff. If I'm struggling with whatever that is, I'm going to focus on that because I'm going to get over that. I'm going to overcome that. You know what happens? You just get more entangled in it. You overcome your stuff by taking your eyes off your stuff and onto him. And you get the word of God out and you start reading life-giving truth over your own life. And you start believing in it by faith. It's just a shift of focus. And that's so freeing. So then it becomes about what I spend my time with, what my focus of what I'll become. So that might mean, so I've got to shift, I've got to place myself in some key environments around some people, around his word, and walk together with others. Why do you think walking together is so important? It's not just the, one of the things you tick off as the things you do as a Christian. It's not why we have it here. It's life. It's the thing Jesus patterned because it's, there's so much wisdom behind walking with others, sharing in our burdens, carrying one another, that you come into the place that we're supposed to. You cannot do this on your own. I cannot do this on my own. I will never arrive where I'm supposed to arrive on my own. It's just the way it's designed. If you think you can beat his design, go for it. But I'll promise you right now today, we will go round and round and round the same mountain, ending up at the same place, going, why aren't things changing? Because there needs to be a letting go of something, faith letting go and coming into a new thing. And I want to show you this, I want to demonstrate this with, um, with some water. And uh, I'm going to invite Danielle to come forward. And this represents us, okay? Clear water. This is mankind, I should say, before the fall, okay? So this is Adam and Eve before the fall. This is Adam and Eve after the fall. Because they get contaminated with this thing called iniquity, which is self, Okay, we talk about sin. We've lost a key part of the truth, which is iniquity and sin. If you go read Psalms, David says, my iniquity is great. Save me from my sin and my iniquity. Sin just means to miss a mark. We've been saved from missing the mark, the standard. But the iniquity still lives within us. The wanting to be God. I will be in control my way lawlessness the bible calls it are you hearing what i'm saying to god and his ultimate mercy he looks down right now still sees me and my iniquity and i'm covered but that iniquity still exists me wanting to be in control of my life make my decisions and he's got this rage going are you living for my will or your will we see that in the garden of gethsemane jesus in his humanity jesus christ in his humanity if there is any other way, Lord, can I get out of this? He didn't feel like going on the cross. He's sweating, the Bible says, blood like tears. He's in anguish. He's going, can I get away from this? It had already been foretold thousands of years before, but now when the reality hits, and what does he say? Your will be done. Not about my feelings. Your will be done. We're going to look at that. So I want you to picture this. Now, how do I get rid of this black solution that's this, this iniquity, this, this selfishness, the wanting to be 
in control. I can't, if I try and get a little scoop out, if I try and get, you know, try and scoop some of that black stuff, it's intertangled, isn't it? In the water. This is what's in us. It's intertangled in us. So when you get saved, you don't arrive. It cracks me up. People that say you get saved, you've arrived. This stuff doesn't exist. It doesn't exist from his point of view. You know, you're saved. His grace covers you. If his grace was removed, he'd see this. So he sees you and me through the eyes of his son. But this still manifests itself on planet earth today. Doesn't it? Can we all agree with that? Yeah, right. So more of him. Come Holy Spirit. Pour more of you into me. Hold it. Isn't that cool? More of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. You know what people see? Him in you. That's what a world is waiting for us to become more and more and more. Because we are it, but we're becoming it. So that's the first thought for us today. I don't know if we're going to get through all this, so I'm just going to go with what I sense. The second thing is how do we live by the Spirit, not the flesh? And we've sort of talked about this a little bit. Is we pursue the living reality of our eternal purpose. We pursue the living reality of our eternal purpose purpose this is new for us when i say us i mean the church in general the modern day church has preached the now and really hasn't even talked about the eternal purposes of the church i have i'm guilty of it yet when you take the entire word of god it's in there and so the church is to walk in the now and the future And this is what we're going to come into more and more and more of trying to understand what I'm even talking about. That the eternal eternity is actually now. What do you mean? But I'm not in heaven. I'm not in the millennium. I haven't become the bride. No, but you capture the revelation of that stuff. And it will change your life now where you'll be preparing for that. And I'm going to show you from Scripture Hebrews 11 is a beautiful example of it that I've never actually really heard before. I've heard different levels of these people cheering us on and doing all these things, but I hope to unpack some things today that you're going to see that actually the great people of faith, the men and women of faith, had faith for something that they never received in the flesh, in the physical How come Abraham can be in the promised land and still be an alien? Still a stranger in the land that God was bringing him to. I still feel detached detached from the promised land. Why? Because he's moving towards a city built in the eternal by God. See, from day one, and I'm going to prove that they all saw this and actually were moving to a spiritual dimension, and it influenced the physical. Did he move from one place to another? Did he come out of Ur of the Chaldees into another place? 
Yes. Then why does he say, look, I'm still haven't received the promises. I'm still, there's these things because he was seeing something and all of them saw something of a greater reality. Paul even saw it. He preaches about it and it moved people. It shifts people. It's the motivation for change in the now. See, we can't handle this concept of rewards in the church. We've all got to be the same. There can't be rewards for some that some get and others don't. Really? Have you read the word? There is. There are rewards for people who live a lifestyle of devotedness, wholeheartedness, obedience, persevere, allow him to be Lord, allow him to define who we are and follow his will. Otherwise, there would be no need for a judgment seat of Christ. You see, we look at that through the negative. That's the most motivating thing. God warns you. He says, you know what? There's going to be, you want rewards. How many people reward their children? Minji bunch. <laughs> Do you have a problem with rewarding your kids? No. Now, hear my heart. The heart motive behind everything. God is a loving father. See, we have this issue. God doesn't reward anyone. That's, that's not in God. He does. He's a loving father. And he has things for people, his children, who walk a kind of lifestyle. I'm not talking about salvation. That's done. His love, grace covers all that. I'm talking about inheritance. And I've said this many times. He does not release things because of maturity and love to people who would kill themselves with it. And so at the judgment seat, there are things we need to get into this, and we're going to begin to this. And it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge some of our thinking and our mindsets. But the Father is a loving Father. The reward of inheritance, Colossians 3, 24. Paul talks about a prize that I'm moving towards. And I'm afraid that my body, my flesh might keep me from it. And so I better make sure I'm living what I preach. Philippians 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. It's all there. And he captured, and these great men of faith captured a living reality in eternity that they were moving to and it empowered their lives. Now, listen to Colossians 3, 1 to 3. This is just around the eternal. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above. Should I say that again? Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, who's been raised with Christ this morning? Keep. What does that mean? Keep seeking the things above. If you haven't been, can I ask you, encourage you to start? Because Paul talks as if it's a normal way of life. Keep doing this thing as if you've been doing it your whole life. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Here you go. Set your mind on the things above. We're so earthly bound, it's not funny. I'm so earthly anchored. I shared this last week. I'm to be anchored in eternity with a bungee cord, living on the earth, and when my time is up, you know what happens? AJ Hacker goes, boom, and up we fly back up. And I've lived a life because I have the culture of eternity living within me, the kingdom living here. It's this stuff. 
again. And the impact the church has is phenomenal because we're not bound to the things of the world. We're not bound to to, to the things that come again. We're not bound to anything. We're free. Free. I came to bring freedom. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ came. Now, once again, can I encourage us? We're all on a journey. We're all on a process. So it's not that we have to arrive in that point tomorrow or after five minutes after the service, but are we on the journey? Are we being faithful, persevering, and overcoming? And allowing the work to be done. And guys, there are opportunities every five minutes to allow the work to be done, even in this room. There are people in this room. I'm one of them, but don't love like I should. I'm going to offend you. You're going to offend me. Aren't we? Can we be this real today? Can we be this honest? So the the question is, how am I going to respond when I'm offended? My will, God's will. Am I going to allow love to be formed in me when this person is here? Because I even believe God allows it to, and looks and goes, right, am I bright going to be formed right now? Here's an opportunity for love to be formed. Here's an opportunity for you true unity to be formed. What's going to happen? Ah, flipping. I'm walking out of that point. They never understood me. And the other person's going the other way. What about a community that actually put on love? And when, you know, I'm offended. But love comes back. I'm going to choose to put on love, not hold offense. You know what you become? You become a grace giver that enables someone else to come into a grace that they're not yet in. And not only do you become free, but you give someone else the opportunity to find freedom. Because you model something that's not in them. Let me give you an example. I love this. Okay, I'm just going right off my notes now. Jesus, before he's taken, before the Sanhedrin. Imagine this picture, okay? There are these guards. Pharisee guards, Roman guards, Roman guards. They get the order from um, Pilate. Go pick this guy up. Okay, really don't know what the guy's done, but these guys in funny clothes have been yapping, making a whole lot of noise, and I'm living in fear because if if Caesar hears about this, then my position might be in jeopardy. So we've got to grab this guy, quiet these bunch of hoodlums down, and and go grab this fellow called Jesus. What's he done, sir? Really don't know. There's nothing I could find, and I just didn't get it. Oh, great, okay. Innocent soldiers asked to do something, not really having any understanding why they're doing it, because they follow orders. They turn up in the garden. There they all are. Jesus is there doing his thing with his disciples, and they come forward. He gets, obviously, Judas does his thing. Now, what unfolds after this? He's saying, why why are you here now when you could have taken me in the temple? Why are you here now? What have I done wrong? And I'll get old Peter who's got plenty of the black stuff in him, grabs a sword and launches forward, off with the guy's ear. Gone. What does Jesus do? What's his response? 
Does he point the finger at the guards, the world, that have no concept of what they're doing? They're just following an order. No, he doesn't, does he? He turns around to the church, his disciple, and goes, what are you doing? Have I modeled that? Uh, no, sir. <laughs> then what on earth are you doing with your sword lobbing off the dude's ear? That's how the world responds. That's the iniquity in you. You do not know what spirit you are operating out of right now, burning down the villages. Same spirit operating again. What is that iniquity of man? So he stands there in love and mercy, knowing that these men are going to arrest him and he's going to his death. He picks up the air off the floor. He sticks it back on the guy's head to show Muppet how he should have acted. Imagine the guy that's just had his ear put back on. And imagine being the guards. If that had been us, they would have said, we would have done the same thing. He's only protecting his man. I would have done that for you, Fred. Yeah, me, you too. But this guy, he doesn't tell us off. He tells his own fella off. And then he restores your ear. Who is this guy? Who is he? What is this stuff? Maybe it's what the centurion got at the foot of the cross when he said, surely this was the son of God that we've just killed. Why? Because he modeled something of the kingdom and love dominates everything. And if we can put it on and live it out, not only will this community grow at 100 miles an hour internally and in the physical, but a world of Wellington who's waiting for us to arrive would look and go, my giddy aunt, I see God. For the first time, not judgment, not pointing fingers, not this, not that, but I see love. And it's modeled through me and you. But are we going to put on love? Are we going to model the behavior of Christ? Because I don't know about you, but I don't know about me. When the pressure comes on, you see what comes up. Didn't you? When I put pressure on that glass, everything started to rise to the top. The black started coming forth. So it's an opportunity now to allow more of him, more of him, more of him, less of you, less of you, less of you. It's called the bride of Christ. It's called the radiant church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And one of the ways is when you receive a revelation, set your mind on the things above and you receive that as living truth, living reality. When you can see it, it's the motivator to live like that. Why? Because you know that this life is just like that and you can't kill a dead man anymore because dead men don't walk. I'm already dead. He was already dead. They were living the early church, sorrowless. That's why they were out to live these radical lives. I'm going to read to you next week the kinds of deaths they had. Come follow me. Where's it going to end? Being turned upside down, crucified to a cross. You still want to come, Peter? 
might rethink that. And we whinge over stupid things, little things. It's come on, let's get on with what God's doing on the earth. Let's forget about self, forget about me, and get part of what he's doing. Because as I do that, that takes care of itself. And I start becoming radiant, purposeful, intentional. And the bride is being birthed. Because it's not just about one person, it's about a community of people. The body of Christ isn't just Simon English. It's not just Sandra Rowley Kay. It's 500 people. It's 3,000 people. It's how many bigs of church today on the earth? Christians, I don't know. One billion. Imagine if one billion Christians actually lived what the Bible teaches. Man, that is love personified that would destroy every demonic influence that's what jesus is coming back for that's the church that he's returning to planet earth for hallelujah all right man i spoke for 41 minutes can we have a little bit more you sure hebrews 3 1 therefore holy brethren partakers of a heavenly calling Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Here we go. Listen, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, Do you understand that? While we look at the things which are, which, so while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's faith? Who can tell me what faith is? From Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. You can all hear it. Faith is a substance of things, sorry, hopeful and evidence of things unseen. All right, I'm going to read you what mine says, which is the same sort of thing, but. Because this is a massive key behind faith that the church is going to come into. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction is different to belief. A conviction of the things not seen. Now, here we go, verse 2. For by it, what? The conviction... The men of old gained approval. See, a conviction moves you. A belief doesn't necessarily move you, does it? You can believe a whole lot of stuff. It doesn't motivate change in your life. I believe that the lost are supposed to be saved, but I don't do anything about it. I believe in tithing, but I don't tithe. I believe in serving, but I don't serve. I believe in love, but I don't love. 
I believe I should exercise, but I don't do that. You can believe whatever you want to believe and never live it. But at the same time, you can. But you get a conviction and it stirs something in you where you have to change. It's the power of the conviction. Those four men that carried their friend on top of the roof had a conviction that Jesus could heal. And so their actions and their lifestyle looked like what they were saying. The woman, Mary, who had a conviction of the love of God is at his feet, washing her hair, pouring out this expensive perfume on his feet while the Pharisees and the disciples are looking on. The disciples going, what a waste of money. And the Pharisees going, if he knew who was this woman, why would he even come near her? Can you see the difference? Do the disciples believe in Jesus? Did they have a conviction of what was going on in that moment? Absolutely not. They were saying the completely opposite thing to what was going on. Let me read this again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance. They were assured of what they were hoping for. Okay? The conviction of the things not seen. I love this. The conviction of something I can't see in the physical, but I've seen it. And I'm moving towards it. You still with me? As a community, we need to come into the full measure of faith that not only believes for the now, but which is anchored and centered in a promise that we will not receive in our lifetime here on earth. The great men and women of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11 all carried a conviction of something they never saw or received in the physical, but saw and received it in the spirit and aligned their lives to it in their present day. So to receive it in the future. It's this kind of faith that gained them approval. Who's the father of faith? Was Jesus in the play like we know him? But your faith has made you righteous. What you're seeing, Abraham, and what you're moving towards has made you righteous. Not just faith in the now. That's awesome. Please hear me today. I, lo I love faith for now. I love faith to see a healing. I love faith to see lives change. I love faith to see people come to Jesus Christ. Please hear my heart. I'm speaking maybe more on this side of the picture than that side. But it's two-part picture. Faith for now. But we've anchored so much of our lives in this stuff, we've become sort of almost apathetic. And we've forgotten about this stuff over here. What we talked about Sunday night, true biblical prophecy is about what God's doing on the earth, not personal prophecy. Give me a picture of what my life looks like. That's cool. That's awesome. But we've forgotten, I believe as the church, biblical prophecy. It's 30% of the Bible, but how long have you heard it preached about? The book of Revelation and all the things that are happening, coming, the return of Christ coming. And not that you become so heavenly minded, because this is what we say. 
Oh, those people are so heavenly minded, they're useless. Well, those people that are claimed to be heavenly minded and are useless haven't caught the heavenly mind of revelation. Because when you catch the heavenly mind of revelation, you become very useful. You become the people that the Bible speaks about. Being led by the Spirit of God, allowing Him to define you more and more and more. Come here to verse 13 of Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Come up to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, following heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So they lived the life here in the physical. And they moved by faith in the now and arrived into the promised land like they were supposed to. Yet were still aliens on the land because while they were doing this, they had revelation of where they were truly going, which they hadn't yet received and will receive one day when the body of Christ comes in, in its full number. Because when you continue reading Hebrews 11 and you find to the end, they are waiting for us to come in. That's why these people are cheering the church on. And when you go to Revelation, they are waiting for us to come into white robes. Come on, people, come on. Let him define you. You're going to be this bride. You're going to be a people on the earth that the earth looked to set apart for me. You're going to live a lifestyle that everyone will look at and go, man, that is extreme Christianity. No, it's just Christianity. Why? Because I'm pouring myself into you and there's more of you that's in, more of me that's in you, which means you're letting go of stuff. You're catching the eternal weight of glory that we're moving towards and the inheritance that you're going to be part of in another reality. And those two factors, there's one more, but that's what I'm going to talk about today. Those two factors, one of them's enough to let your life down and live for him. And I thank him every day. I'm thanking him more and more for you guys and what we're about as a community and what he's building, what he's doing on the earth. It is different. Maybe this is a completely different message to what you've ever heard from before. You may believe it. You may not believe it. Can I ask you to not just take it as Greg Simner, take it here and take it to the Spirit of God and start contending with it with people. Ask the question. Arise and stand up, my church. The time is now. 
He's waking her up. It's not a scary thing, guys. Remember, there is no condemnation in Christ. It's what the enemy will try and do. This is why I shared this last week. If we start to realize our lack, we start to see the gap. We're supposed to. It's supposed to motivate you to change, not make you run away from what you don't have or you're not who you not are. It's like this, discontently content. I'm secure. Why? Because I'm a son of God. I'm bought and paid for. The Father adopted me. He's defining me with his Holy Spirit. I'm seeking him. I'm coming into a greater reality of that. So I'm secure in who I am, who he is in me. And I can look at the gap and go, that's okay. Because I'm all on a journey as a community, coming from one into. Can you hear my heart today? I would hate for anyone to leave here feeling condemned. If you do, that's of the enemy trying to rob you of something. Go to the word of God. Go to the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit of God, start speaking to me through your word. Reveal to me the living depth of what's here. Because we are in truth and we're coming into a greater reality of the truth because God is peeling back depth of truth that's in here that the church has lost. We're going to end it there. Um, let's get the musos. Be cool. I'll give you the third point, but I'm not going to talk to it. It's just we must choose his will over our own. <clears throat> and maybe I'll speak to that a bit later. Jesus is in. While they're coming, I'm going to lie. I'm going to 